You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey, everybody, it's Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on a new edition of our podcast. And I will get into that in uh, just a moment. I'm really excited about it. So it's uh, it's getting dark here on Maui. We have our first big COVID outbreak from uh, the time this all began. So the island is in a mood, if that makes any sense. Um, I, for one, am happy and comfortable here with my dogs. You just saw Eos walk behind us in the background. They'll probably start barking at least once during the podcast. They always do. So apologies to our listeners and to our guests. I love them. I haven't taught them to be quiet, so that's on me. So we are now about 11 months and 70 shows into Talking Tough. And one thing I'm certain I've never shared with our listeners and our viewers is that when I was younger, I had cancer. I don't hide from it. I just haven't had occasion or a reason to bring it up on Talking Tough. So when I was 16 years old, I was diagnosed with stage four testicular cancer that had spread to both my lungs very aggressively. And that started the way I look at it, or the way I look at it then at least, from a different perspective now is three years of like living hell on this earth, four major surgeries, countless really high level poisonous chemo that kept me hospitalized. Spent about 600 nights as an inpatient in the hospital over those three years. And it was, uh, it, I'm going to tell the whole story in a different part of our podcast and on the Talking Tough website, but I, I bring it up today for specific reasons. One thing I've also never mentioned, you all know I'm very involved in pit bull rescue. I love to talk about that. I've been in a very, very informal, and only informally, I've been a, for lack of a better term, a cancer counselor for, gosh, over 20 years now. And all that means is I talk with people who are going through it. And, and share, you know, what they call in the anonymous programs, my experience and, and strength and hope. And what, I think I got that right. So I love to be able to help people if I can. It's like helping, helping the dogs that we love. It's even more amazing when you can make a difference for a person. So that has helping people with cancer and their families in whatever way I can has really taken on a whole nother life in well, about the past half year. We got very involved in, in outreach and connection and talking with at least one person uh, worldwide daily. And I, I found them from various cancer support sites. And it's been really an amazing journey. I'm loving it because of that. You know, the brain's always working on, on business ideas. It doesn't feel like business. It feels like personal passion. But there is a component to this now that you could call business. It's our new brand here on Talking Tough called We Win. And you can read all about it on the Talking Tough site. I hope that you will. And one very natural adjunct to this is what is going to be a weekly podcast called We Win, a special edition of Talking Tough. With that, today is our first edition ever of We Win. And I really, in, in my mind, could not be starting in a better, brighter, more positive way. Uh, I lucked out, and this is absolutely my good fortune, coming across this amazing young woman just recently who herself is a survivor, who really went through it, came out the other side just so bright and so strong and is making a difference in so many people's lives now that I could not be happier to have her on as our first guest for We Win to be the best way to kick this off. So without listening to me go on any further, I am really happy to welcome today Bailey O'Brien. Thank you for hey, Bailey. It's, it's a tremendous honor to uh, to be here on your show and and to be the first one. Um, I'm sure whoever comes after me will be better because the first is the worst. <laughs> but um, I'm truly humbled by your words and uh, people have gone through much much more difficult things. You know, when I look back, I I'm just so grateful to have had, like you said, um, uh, you know, good fortune that I made it through and. 
I'm alive. And that was, you know, the stage four aspect of my cancer journey was actually just about 10 years ago now. Um, I just passed the 10 year um, anniversary of my stage four diagnosis. And uh, that, it just took me on a wild ride. And it was actually my um, second recurrence from cancer. I was originally diagnosed when I was 17 in my first semester of college. And I went through, uh, you know, that was really shocking to me. Um, I was like, what the heck, you know, how did, how did this happen? Um, I, I had a mole on my right temple that, that looked funny and I had it biopsied and it came back as melanoma, which is the deadliest type of skin cancer. I took a medical leave of absence. Um, you know, it was weird. I was, you know, just starting college. Um, but I was under so much stress, you know, from sports, um, you know, social pressure and academic pressure that for me, it was kind of like a, almost like a relief. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there was, there was positive in that, you know, even in a cancer diagnosis. And then it recurred two years later, I was getting, you know, regular PET scans to, to make sure that there was no recurrence, but it turned out that there was, and this was, you know, shortly after a breakup that I had with my boyfriend and I was, it was a really stressful time. And, and I'm a very, um, very much a relational person and I, and, um, I'm very sensitive. And for me, breaking up with my boyfriend felt worse than actually having cancer. I remember texting my mom, telling her that. And, um, so that was, it was really, you know, emotional. And then, you know, stress plays a role in cancer development. And, you know, I don't know what kind of role it had in, in my recurrence, but the recurrence yeah, I, 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 I want to interrupt. I'm so sorry. I am so rude. I always interrupt people on this, so I apologize. That's great. But I, I, I want to I want to see I want to seize on that for a moment. So you were diagnosed twice. You had um, you, you just explained that to us. And it wasn't lost on me that right before you said you were diagnosed each time you were experiencing a lot of stress. And mm -hmm. you're, you're now saying you don't know what role stress played in that. I mean, we can't know with any degree of certainty, of course. But I, I want to ask you, do you know why you got cancer? Was, was there, oh, you lived in a rough environment. It's in your family's history. But was there a reason given? Mm. Um, well, my, my doctors said, you know, we... We don't really know why. One of the doctors said you have fair skin, you burn easily, and your you know your eyes and your hair are a bit lighter in color. And you know that people who have fair skin freckles they have a higher incidence of melanoma. So I do believe that mm -hmm. played a role in it. But okay. you know again, okay. there yeah there are lots of different factors in life that influence um, you know disease processes such as your environment, mm -hmm. environmental toxins. Mm -hmm. The things you put in your body, things Absolutely. you put in your body, and stress. And I've, you know, I've come across so many people in my travels that know, at least have been told exactly why they got it for some of the reasons you just mentioned. So I, I want to say something to you because I know you help people with their brains and their emotions. And I want to see what your reaction to this is. Like I grew up in a very clean environment as far as this, you know, the water and the air and whatnot. There's zero family history for me. And I went through some, it, what to me at least were some horribly stressful times right before my diagnosis. And I'm convinced now, Bailey, all these years later, and this hit me about 10 years ago, that I gave cancer to myself. How does that strike you? <laughs> um, it's not funny, but I was just talking to a friend um, a day or two ago about the, the power of the mind. And I, I was telling my friend that, you know, I remember I was, I was little, I was maybe middle school and I didn't want to go to gymnastics because I, I just, you know, I didn't like it that much. And I, I think I prayed and I asked God to give me a headache <laughs> because if I had a headache, you know, then I wouldn't have to go. And I developed a headache and, um, you know, so me that I had a headache with that caused the headache and, and praying too, I guess. I don't, you know, I don't know if God will give me a headache if, if I ask for it, but <laughs> right, um, right. yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> the mindset is powerful. The placebo effect is, I believe has about a 30% impact on, you know, whether it can work you on believe you're going to get well or you believe you're not going to get well, you know. Yeah. You it can work on both sides, right? Because. 
I believe it works on both sides. I, I nobody will ever convince me otherwise now that I did not cause my own cancer. I don't blame myself for it. It's okay. It's my responsibility. I should say I don't live in recrimination about it. Um, to me, it's more of a, a light bulb going on than anything, because I also very much believe the opposite is true. And you touched on that. We can create miracles with our own brains when it comes to our health and our disease as well. I know that's something that you believe in your work, or at least I, I think that's the case. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, just with the, your, your belief matters a lot. Um, you know, and we've seen this with the placebo effect um, research. And there was a, there was a, there was a story of a guy who um, heard about a miracle cure. Um, you know, I haven't looked at the, or re read the story recently, but I think he, he had cancer and this miracle drug, he started taking it and he started getting better. And then, um, you know, he found out, you know, there was news that it was actually a bad batch. And then he actually became sick because he thought he got a bad batch. And then, um, you know, he actually died. And he, it was, it was very clearly because of, you know, his, his, his body's response to his treatment was completely based on his belief in it. And mm -hmm. I believe that happens every day, you know, at least to some degree. I know people who have believed a hundred percent they were going to get well, um, and, and they didn't, but I do believe it's very powerful. I want to get a lot deeper into mindset in a moment, but let's, let's start at the beginning for a moment. Uh, I know your credentials. So when, when you talk, I listen. I know I have a lot to learn from you. Can, can you explain to our listeners and to our viewers what it is you do now professionally in this space? Yeah, sure. So I was, um, I graduated with a, a bachelor's in nutrition, nutritional sciences, and I was on track to become a dietitian. But after after cancer and taking a really um, quite radical and unconventional approach to my treatment, I I knew that that wasn't really the space for me because I wouldn't be able to share my story and tell people that you can beat cancer using nutrition. Um, because as a dietitian, you you work under the doctor. You know the doctor orders the medications, and sure you can help people with their diet, but even the diet aspect is not. Um, I don't think it's super holistic in it, in it on its own. It, and it's, you know, influenced by different industries. Um, so, so I'll just, you know, take you a little bit through my, my career journey. Um, I got healed from cancer, had no idea what to do with my life. Um, I had just, um, you know, found, found the Lord and I was like, okay, God, you know, you have my life, you have my heart now. And um, I want to do whatever you want me to do. I'm just so grateful to be alive. So um, I I ended up, you know, long story short, <laughs> I be I enrolled in in a the Institute for Integrative Nutrition's health coaching course, and um, I got I graduated from that and got my health coaching certification. And then I bumped into uh, Chris Wark at a conference. Who's a uh, Chris Wark is a stage three C colon cancer survivor who. He had surgery for his cancer, but he forego he forewent um, chemotherapy, and he did a radical, like whole life life change with his diet, supplements. He did you know some IV treatments like vitamin high dose vitamin C, and um, you know prayed and journaled a lot and forgave a bunch of people, asked for forgiveness, um, and and so Chris interviewed me for his blog, and I um, you know. Once that went live, I got hundreds of emails. I, I remember I was in the back of a van on my way to a, a retreat and I was trying to keep up with my emails and answer them. Um, and so that's that's really how I got started coaching uh, people with cancer. I helped them with, you know, what, what information is out there? You know, what people um, have healed from cancer? What have they done to get well? And what have people done who have your specific type of cancer? Uh, what have they done to get well? And what are the theories behind it? What are, um, you know, what's the philosophy? What what do you think you need to do to get well? Because a lot of times, you know, following your intuition is in Dr. Kelly Turner's research on radical remission. You know, people who heal 
without, you know, a conventional explanation of it or when um, either they didn't have treatment that, um, you know, should have, you know, statistically healed them or, um, or they had, you know, they tried conventional treatment and then it failed and then they, they did something else and they healed. And so Dr. Turner's research found nine, nine factors that were common among people with cancer. Um, you know, they were both physical and mental, emotional, spiritual. And, and the one that was, um, you know, the mental part is following or spiritual is following your intuition. And I believe that that's, um, <laughs> that plays a role significantly because there's a gentleman I was working with who, um, you know, it, this just keeps me humble because there's a gentleman I was working with who had stage four melanoma like me, but he was in a much more difficult scenario. He had, uh, he called it his smarty cake liver. You know, the, the, um, the cake, the birthday cake with the sprinkles in it, it's all, in, mm -hmm. you know, in there. Um, so he had a ton of like innumerable tumors on in his liver and then throughout the rest of his body. And I said, here's, here's what I did. You know, when I was diagnosed with stage four cancer, we researched what would work for melanoma, found cholestoxins, which had a 60% um, five-year survival rate in inoperable melanoma and the Gerson therapy, which had a 39% five-year survival rate in uh, stage four melanoma. And if you combine those, you know, that's, that's pretty darn good, you know, compared to conventional um, uh, studies and, and treatments. And that's, you know, we still have that information. It's still applicable. I think that would be a really good path for you. And he said, well, you know, he, he was, um, he prayed and, uh, felt compelled to go to, to Germany for treatment and do, um, a diet that was different than the Gerson diet. One that was, oops, sorry. Um, one that was lower in carbohydrates and higher in fat and, um, you know, not including that Coley's toxins, which have the 60% five-year survival rate. And he had a miracle. <laughs> He's been cancer-free for um, a couple of years now. And I'm like, thank, thank goodness. Thank the Lord that he didn't listen to me, you know? So, um, yeah, well, you know, people may not come to me now, but that's okay. You know, I know I was going to say, that's a, that's a great endorsement. Okay, everybody, don't listen to Bailey. <laughs> I, I know that you've had, I know that you've had a lot of success. Well, I've seen your that. testimonial. <laughs> no, I, I know you have a lot of testimonials about, about the many, many people you have helped. Uh, uh, so let me, let me put it to you this way. This guy sounded pretty knowledgeable and pretty present. Uh, I know there's a lot there's so much data available now. Like Bailey, when when I had cancer, you know what my diet was? It's like I, I really couldn't eat. I was throwing up so much from the chemo, but so my food was all you know through the IV for the most part. But when I ate, it was like McDonald's and Jelly Bellies. I mean, no nobody even knew about nutrition back then. It's it's shocking to even think in those terms now. And I got blasted with like this very poisonous. Um, protocol, they probably wouldn't, I don't think they do prescribe it anymore. Two of the four drugs are off the market because they're so toxic. The reason I bring this up is I, I had no idea what to do. My parents were lost. Everybody was lost. So there was no data and nobody to help us gather it and, and plot a course. Is it mm -hmm. fair to say that you were like, and I want to find the right, ugh, I'm not going to worry about the words if I describe it right. Are, are you like a great one-stop shop? for assimilating the data and really mapping out a course for somebody that may have no idea what to do? Mm, that's a good question. And I think it depends on the person because sometimes, I mean, I, I believe a person needs a team of people helping them. I think having a conventional oncologist is good because they can order, you know, your blood work and your scans, whether you choose to go all conventional or not, or integrative or alternative. Um, having, um, you know, a holistic doctor, whether it's integrative or alternative doctor, they can, um, you know, I, the more, well, there's pros and cons to having more people on your team, because the more people you have, the, the more perspectives you have, uh, mm -hmm. but, but you have, you know, you have more information to um, make your decision. Uh, I, you know, for, for me, um, I do typically recommend that people do go you know, to dip, to uh, at least to have another doctor to help. I was gonna, I was gonna ask yeah. you about that because Bailey, I, I talk with people all the time that are just 
you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And they're worried about advice they've got from their doctors because the treatment sounds worse than the disease. And you know what I'm talking about, of course. Have you found yourself in a position before where you disagree with the medical advice a doctor is giving to your client? And if so, what do you do? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's very common that that happens because doctor uh, medical oncologists in in the states and you know in general they recommend high dose chemotherapy and and they don't tend to talk about nutrition and sleep and exercise and supplements and they may even discourage people from taking supplements and um you know, so I, I disagree with all of that. I, I think, um, you know, people can get well with high dose chemotherapy, but a, I think a much better option is a lower dose chemotherapy in combination with complementary and alternative treatments. And, and there are some places in the United States where you can get that and it may be out of pocket and much more expensive, but it's less toxic. And they'll typically use a technique called insulin potentiation therapy in which a person will actually fast before chemotherapy and fasting actually helps to make chemotherapy more effective. And you can um, make it even better by taking, you know, you're, you get your blood sugar to a certain level and then you take insulin right before the chemotherapy. And that, um, that makes the cells really hungry. And so it pulls in the, the chemotherapy much more effectively than if you were, you know, let's say you just ate. So that that helps to um, make the chemotherapy, you know, spare you from some side effects from the chemo, make it more effective and, um, you know, just be better off than you were with high dose. So and then, oh, no, I hear you. Okay. Yeah. Have, have you found. OK, so you're in these situations where you're with a client who has been prescribed a, a, a typical high dose chemo protocol. And I'm, I'm painting a scenario which may or may not have happened. And you don't agree with this. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to successfully guide a client through a, a different version of a plan than a, a doctor may have laid out for them? Or do you feel like you have to go with what the doctor has advised? Oh, yeah. I think um, a lot of the people who come to me, they have already heard about the alternatives and they are, they're willing to do something different. Um, some of them yeah. do, um, either they, you know, they finish their course of, of high dose chemotherapy or, you know, they, they add, um, you know, pe people change it all the time. Um, but yeah, they, a lot of people do forgo it. Sometimes they go to a different country for treatment. And sometimes they go to a, a, an alternative clinic within the United States. Sure. And so, yeah, I, it happens pretty frequently. And, and so do you have all these relationships or, or the knowledge, at least, of who these different types of providers are around the world that you can connect your clients to? Yeah, I have. Um, I can I continually add doctors to my website. I have a tab. Um, it's under the resources tab for clinics, doctors, and hospitals around the world. And a lot of them, um, you know, I don't, I haven't talked personally to each of the doctors or the, you know, the clinics that I list, but um, I, I have included them on my website at least as a resource. You know, let's say somebody wants hyperbaric oxygen or high dose vitamin C, you know, they can look through my list. And then there's also um, a list of lists at the bottom of my of that page also oh, with oh, other list websites that list okay. um, so, yeah, integrated all right. so what here's what I'm wondering how much can somebody put their self in, in your hands and, and here's what I mean by that so like all right so I'm 59 years old now and I've said you know I went through another huge medical deal from 2013 to 16 I don't know if I told you about that in our conversation or not. It wasn't cancer related, but it was a second near-death experience. And it started with infections because of my back surgeries and went to double kidney failure and two strokes and all that fun stuff. And I was on my own during that period of time. Um, 
you know, I had gotten addicted to narcotic pain pills because of the pain. I became kind of a D-I-C-K because of that. And I disassociated from everybody that I knew. So I was on my own. And it was, I remember how unbelievably exhausting it was to have to be my own med medical advocate, to have to be my own scheduler, my own researcher, all that sort of thing. So somebody comes to you exhausted and fearful. Can you guide them top to bottom? Yeah, I can. I believe I can. There's, I see myself as kind of like, um, when I got the stage four diagnosis, my mom and, and her friend were, were doing the majority of the research. Uh, I was, I was 20 years old. I was just trying to not go crazy. And so I was hanging out with my friends a lot. <laughs> um, just keeping my mind off of it. And I said, whatever you find that looks good, um, send it to me. I'll look at it and they'll make my decision off of that. And so that's, that's what I do. I, I already have a, a pretty good body of, of research to, to people. Um, and then, you know, I do a bit of additional research for each person. Um, and then, you know, I help guide them through, you know, answer questions about different treatments and things here and there. Um, and then, you know, I, we can help, you know, we can work together so that they can make their decisions confidently. Okay, cool. Good. That's, yeah, that's, I, I understand the value. That's got to help so much. So you were diagnosed, you were, sorry, how old did you say? 20? Yeah, the second time I was 20. Or the third. Second time. Second and third. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and the first time you were 17? Yeah. Okay. Do you, I'm just wondering if you remember that you're, you're quite obviously a very intelligent person. Um, in, in my life, 17 was like 10 lifetimes ago. For you, that wasn't that long ago. Uh, do you do you remember if you can take us through what your what your feelings were when you first heard you have you were you were given a prognosis a, a survival prognosis of a certain amount of time? Is that right? At that time, um, you know, they my oncologist just actually believed that I would be okay because I was young and I was athletic. I was, <laughs> you know, by God's grace, I was on a uh, varsity athletic team in college. Um, uh, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to think because it was, it was skin cancer. So I thought, you know, it's on the skin. Does it really go inside like deeper into the body? Will I need chemotherapy? Am I going to die? You know, I just, um, I guess, in my favor, I didn't know much about cancer um, because okay. if I had known more about melanoma specifically, then I might have been like, oh, you know, this is really bad. But um, well, you were never, I mean, I, you were never given, you were never given a death sentence necessarily then. Um, initially, I was not, but later on, I was essentially. Okay. And yeah. that was your second, second time around when you, when you were about 20 then. Yeah. So it came back. I was 20 and they, uh, you know, at that time they said there was an, uh, you know, I, in my records, the doctor wrote that there was an 80% chance that it would come back within the next three to five years. And he told me it would likely be life-threatening at that time. And uh, so okay. I, I, I believe that I probably had three to five years or so, you know, plus or minus a couple of years. And then two weeks after I finished my treatment, I felt a lump under my chin it was melanoma and then the scan and it, it was in my neck, lung and spine up to seven tumors. And then, okay. um, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but my doctor told my mom that I had seven months to live without treatment or 14 months with treatment. And okay. so that, that was, that was like, um, I, I couldn't, it was like, I couldn't even stand being in my own body at that, at that point, the, um, the hopelessness, it was overwhelming and okay. really, um, really hard. This, this is what I'm, and this is emotional. I can see that. And, and I hope it's all right to go there. I, I warned you, right? That uh, I, I'd want to get deep with you. Yeah. And, you know, you, you deal with this every day in your line of work. And I want to ask you about how you work with people that are going through what you went through. 
if, if this isn't too heavy, and I'm just gonna be transparent and a little heavy handed here, what, what I wanna really try to give our, our listeners a sense of is describe the first time you thought that you had a death sentence, what did that feel like? Well, you know, honestly, it felt like I was trapped in a cage. I was in my dorm room. Um, my mom and sister had come up to my school to tell me the results. And um, my mom told me I should sit down. And then I, you know, I knew, you know, uh, at least the hint of what she was about to say. And she said it was, you know, the scan confirmed the, the tumor under my chin. And then, you know, up to six others in my neck, my lung, and my spine. And I didn't qualify for the treatment that my doctor was so excited about that was up and coming that, you know, could help me. And so I just, like, I couldn't, I couldn't stay still wherever I was. It was, I got up, I was pacing around my room and it was like, I couldn't, like, I was just moaning in despair and sobbing like and I didn't even want anyone to touch me at the time it was just like I was inconsolable it it was the most horrific feeling in my life I I imagined the doctors out there the you know the smartest doctors I had doctors at some of the top cancer hospitals in the world and I said if they if there was anything out there I would I would already have heard about it and I haven't heard about it so there's nothing I'm you know I'm I'm going to die. And, but, but very shortly after that, my mom reassured me that there were alternative options out there that we hadn't tried yet. And okay. her friend believed a hundred percent that I would get well. And we just had to figure out what was going to work for me. And so how long, you know, how, long then, that, how long, how yeah. long I'm sorry, I'm doing it to you again. I know. How long did that feeling of despair last before you started thinking that there might be a, some hope or a way out? Was it one night? Was it a matter of months? Well, well, it it was a, it was a well, you know, it was a matter of minutes because I by that time I was um I was actually you know my mom's friend had started talking to us about. Um, integrative and alternative therapies before we got to that point, you know, after the recurrence, it was, um, it was a couple, a few months prior to this um, moment, maybe four months prior. Um, she, she was encouraging us to meet with other doctors to, um, you know, think about my, my diet and supplements that I could change and integrate into my, into my protocol, into my treatments. And so I was starting to, to go along those lines already. And, um, you know, the fact that I had followed, you know, to a T everything that my oncologist had told me to do, and I ended up with stage four cancer with <laughs> two weeks later, then I was, then I was done. I was, I was frustrated. I was fed up with, um, you know, our medical industry. And so mm -hmm. I, I was, I guess, Partly because of that, I was open and more hopeful in a way. And and of course, it wasn't like it wasn't an easy drive back to New York, but um, or, you know, the next few months. But I, I, I began to have hope pretty, pretty quickly. That's that's amazing. So 10 years later now, you celebrate your 10 year anniversary and you do what you do in this world or for people, you know, we, we've spoken just once before. Um, my, my impressions of you in our conversation, what I see online is like truly like this bright light. And I, so you, I think you need to be like that to be successful in what you do. You have somebody come to you now. Well, have you had someone come to you in the state of mind that you were in before you got out of the darkness? Yeah, uh, I've been talking recently with a woman in a similar situation. She's um, she doesn't have a lot of support, and 
she's very overwhelmed with information. And I have a friend who's, um, you know, I could call her a coworker. We, we both serve the cancer community and we're, bo we're both working with her. And, and my friend is doing a lot of work with her also. And, and she's, she's going to be working with a mindset coach as well. Um, but, you know, when you were, you know, talking about the weightiness of, of this kind of thing, what I've learned is, um, especially in the last year or two, um, with, um, with my sister getting a pretty crappy diagnosis um, of an autoimmune disease that um, is often terminal. Um, I just, I don't, it's, it's like, you know, God, God, um, you know, in the Bible, he says, cast all your anxiety on, on him because he cares for you. And I'm, you know, I'm blessed to have some friends who, um, who are very, very positive and, and joyful and, you know, just seeing them, like seeing their attitude has helped me grow through that process instead of thinking about all the negative all the time, you know, God, uh, in Philippians 4, 4, he also says, rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. Um, you know, then he says, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that's something that has helped me. Um, you know, my faith is without, gosh, without my faith, I don't even know if I, I don't think I would be alive <laughs> today. Um, I have, you know, I have struggled more, you know, I struggled, um, especially, you know, leading up to the cancer diagnosis and remission and finding God with, with fear and anxiety and, um, you know, just really struggling a lot mentally. So, um, you know, th through, through my faith and through, um, having other, other people in my life who have that kind of faith that helps me support other people. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, hopefully those people that I work with will, will find strength themselves. So I think I mentioned to you in our, in our first conversation that, you know, I like, I railed against God when I had cancer. Um, I have a whole different view of it now and treat it much. Well, I do treat it differently every day now and certainly would if I ever diagnosed again. Um, I didn't understand it. I didn't have a, I don't really like the word religion, but I, I didn't have a religious mm -hmm. upbringing and I, I was very against it. Um, if you have someone like me come to you and they don't have uh, a religious or spiritual discipline, is that something that you try to impart with them or do you find ways to work around that? Mm. Yeah, is it required? I, I've... <laughs> no, no. I appreciate it very much because when I was um, going through the cancer, I was, I was, um, I honestly didn't know what I believed about God. And, and some people asked me, I remember, you know, three specific people who kind of influenced me in this way. Uh, <laughs> um, one of them asked me if I knew, you know, if I knew I was going to heaven when I died. And, I, you know, he said, we're hopeful that you're going to make it, but let's say you don't, do you know if you're going to heaven? And, uh, you know, I said, no. And, and then he, he, you know, he talked about miracles and, and just the way the, the body's so incredibly made, um, that that's evidence of God. And I was like, you know, that's nice. It, it could be, but it's not enough for me. And then I had another, um, a relative who, who said she was praying for me and, you know, she was like, trust God, like, He's going to take care of you. And she gave me a little booklet and I thought that was really nice. And I appreciated that. And then the third person, um, he said, I believe, I don't know why, but I believe you're going to get well. And he asked me if I believed in God. And I said, I don't know. I never really put much thought into it. 
and he said, just, just pray, God, if you're there, please give me a miracle. And so I started praying that way. I said, God, if there, please give me a miracle. Prayed it, you know, probably a few times a day. And, um, you know, but I, I wasn't really like, you know, so religious at the time. Um, and so I can relate with people who are in that place, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I've worked with people who are, um, who get agitated talking about it and that's, that's mm -hmm. fine. You know, sure. I don't, sure. I don't like, I'm not here to push anything on anyone, but just encourage them. Sure. I mean, so, okay, great. Thank you for that. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I get, I, I get asked a lot, you know, what, <laughs> this is going to probably not make any sense. I'm going to back up. Uh, if there's three things in this world, I know a little bit about it's cancer, pit bulls and pro wrestling of all things. And people would ask me if I had a dollar for every time someone asked what it takes to be a successful pro wrestler, I'd be a pretty wealthy guy right now. And, you know, and, and I know the answer, well, you know, a, a physique um, more than anything else, the desire to do it, um, a, a performer's mentality, whatever it may be. I get asked that question a lot about cancer also, like if in, in one or two word descriptions, what are the major components somebody needs to beat it? And I, I can tell you my answer real quickly, and I want to delve deeper in, into yours, certainly. And for me, like probably in descending order, I tell them diet probably as fourth. And the ranking it is wrong, but this is just a way for me to keep it sorted in my mind. Well, diet and uh, nutrition, probably fourth. A good support system, third. Um, proper treatment, whether it's uh, traditional or non-traditional, second. And first, I tell people above all else, just one, one word, belief. And whatever it is to get you to a place where you believe you can beat this, we can get into a thousand different things that could create belief. But to me, above, above and beyond all else is belief. And I'm wondering if you break it down that way, or if not, if you haven't, if I can put you on the spot for your answer. Yeah. What are the major components someone needs to, to successfully beat cancer? Yeah, that's a great question. And I agree 100% with your your top um, your top factors. I Like you said, a person has to want to live. And, um, you know, sadly, I've met a couple people who who had stage four cancer and they they were you know they were working really hard at it but one woman she was a mother um and a wife and it was like she didn't believe that she was worthy of um you know like the money to to get her treatments and wow. i believe that was a factor in her death unfortunately wow that's a tough one sure yeah so um, I guess that's, you know, that's the one that I hadn't really thought about much, but it just came to mind. And so, and believing that you're worthy of healing is important. Believing that you, you can get well is, is extremely important and wanting to get well, um, you know, as I started with to say, and surrendering, you know, I, I think that's the main thing because, um, you know, what works for one won't work for another. And there was a, a woman I met, she did, you know, she did only conventional treatment and she, she knew about all, you know, holistic methods and she just prayed and she surrendered. She had like three days to live, three days to a week or to live. And she just prayed. She felt God told her to do the full dose chemo and she did it. She didn't change her diet. And she has been in remission over 10 years. And I don't, you know, I wouldn't use her as like a, you know, textbook. Well, you know, <laughs> she had a good thing going for her, her surrender and, and prayer and listening for, for what God was telling her to do. We, we hear more and more of those stories every day now. I'm a believer. I'm definitely a believer now. And, you know, you mentioned the word surrendering. A word we hear so much in our world is battle. I'm battling cancer. You know, I'm sure you hear the word that B word all day, every day. Is it, is it a fight or is it better to be looked at as something that, and I, 
is an opportunity to be in harmony? Mm. Or is it a combination of the two? Yeah, I think it's both because uh, I remember specifically when you said battle that I wrote um, the night that I found out that I was in remission. I, I, I had been taking these treatments at home and I would write down my my temperature after getting a, you know, after getting an injection because I would often get a fever from it. And I would also write down the dose of the medication that I got. And and I wrote um, that that this battle is won, but the war is not over because I had to continue fighting for my life, you know, even after that, because, you know, medically you, you can't see every cancer cell in your body in on a scan. And so my scan showed that there was uh, probably nothing there that, that was cancerous. But I knew that I had to maintain this um, treatment protocol for a while in um, in order to make sure that it was a durable, you know, long-term remission. Um, and, you know, I think, well, peace, um, you know, peace comes from surrender, but also um, that could be taken as like, you know, it, oh, I'm sick. It's God's will for me to be sick. And so I'm just going to go with the flow. I don't I don't think that's a, the best approach to take. Um, but but believing that there's a purpose in it is important. I believe in having peace with that. That's that's a positive thing. So like everything else in life, it's a balance. And it's almost like choosing your battles, knowing uh, knowing where you want to exert that energy and, and knowing where you yeah. want to do it, I suppose. Then. And. So you, again, I just have this impression of you like just being like the brightest, and I would say bright, I don't mean intelligent only, but you know, light, like a light being. Were you always like that? Or is that something that happened in the course of your experience with uh, all this fun stuff? <laughs> that's, very, that's very kind of you to say. Um, well, I think I had, some tendencies to to be, um, I guess, well, relatable um, in a way, even though I didn't really fit in in, uh, high, in my high school. Uh, I was certainly not like a, a popular person. I was like nerdy and geeky and, you know, all that good stuff. But um, it was um, really after after cancer and after wanting to know if God was real and if he had heard my prayer and answered it, you know, healed me. Um, when, when I decided to trust that Jesus was who he said he was, that he, he had died on the cross for my sins. And if I believed in him, I would have, you know, this eternal life. And just knowing that, um, I was, if I accepted him, I would just be good with God. There's nothing I could do to separate myself from him. He, he, he'd have me and he would love me, um, eternally. And, um, it was after that, that I really, it was like, my heart was, was filled, um, to overflowing. And I was no longer like kind of, um, waiting for someone to, to fill me, but I was able to, um, relate much better to others and and um be a blessing to them i guess you could say um so it's you, and it's 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 you, god oh, shining <laughs> it's not it's not me because without him i wouldn't <laughs> you, you were um you were voted the meanest kid in your graduating class weren't you i know the truth <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I only now aspire to be like you when I grow up. So there you go. Oh, uh, I, that's be beautiful, no, beautifully I said. <laughs> you aspire to be, be like me when you get really old? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> All right, you guys. No, I told I you the dogs would start barking at one point. Like clockwork. Yeah. There they go. Guys, oh, the give daddy there. a break, please. We're on, we're on live here. Uh, let me, uh, let, hey, let me ask you. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Let me, oh, let me I'm ask you one more. <laughs> oh God. You said pup dog therapy. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, you know, they are the greatest therapists on this planet. They're major, major pains in my butt. 
But I and right right on cue, right on cue. All right, Wilson, say hi to Bailey. Um, but I, I certainly love them more than anything. This is um this is vicious pit bull number three here. That's who this is. Okay, buddy, go back down. Um, let let me ask you um, one more. We're, we're getting close to the hour. I know it's late for you. I don't want to prevail upon your good graces too terribly long. Um, when you work with people in the line of work that you do, how, how, first of all, how close do you get with your clients or do you, do you try to maintain some sort of emotional separation? Yeah. Um, well, not everybody does this, but, but for me, I, it's hard not to get personal um and it, and it depends on the person that i'm working with they you know i respect everyone's boundaries and um you know some people don't want to talk very much um but i you know keep in touch with them and um you know pray pray for them and i'm working with a guy right now who i've been texting um very frequently every day a few times a day and he said that he felt he felt like I was like family, and I said I I feel the same way, and it's um, very endearing, and so it it can be very um, you know, especially when someone passes, it can be um, heartbreaking, but um, yeah, yeah, you're uh, you're so. you're. You're an empath. I get that. Um, so it's a uh, it's a challenging, a challenging line of work you've um, you've created for yourself. So I mean, bless you for doing it and for helping the people that that you help. It's pretty. Uh, that's incredible. Um, Thank you. So, so <laughs> if, if I were to call you out of the blue one day, you didn't know me from Adam, and I said Bailey. Now I'm really going to put you on the spot. And I said, Bailey, mm -hmm. I got your phone number and I was just diagnosed with this stage four. And I know I'm going to die soon and my life is over. And that's that. This will probably be the last time I ever talked to anybody. Um, but I just wanted to call. <laughs> what would you say? Told you I was oh putting you on gosh. the spot. Wow, that's wild. That's wild. Uh -huh. um, well, I mean, I would be, I would be so grateful that they called. Um, gosh, uh, where to begin? Uh, well, you know, I, I would acknowledge that they, they, they're not going to get well. I, I wouldn't try to convince them right off the bat that they're not going to die, but. Um, yeah, I would, I would ask them, you know, why did, why did you reach out to me? What, what can I help you with? How can I, you know, encourage you and help you? Um, and then. Well, Bailey, would, so I'm, I'm, I'm the guy on the other end of the phone now. Um, so talk about putting you on the spot. Wow. So uh, <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know, Bailey, I, I, I want to believe there's some hope, but I, I just know there's not. Well, I would say that's very interesting because you're talking to uh, a stage four cancer survivor who's lived ten years past her expiration date, and if it if I can get better, then you certainly have the opportunity to get better, also. And th and I there are many many other people who have who have been through the same thing and and come out cancer free. It's not not just me. It's there are lots of people out there. It's, it's so great now we have all these different places that where people have aggregated these stories and those, um, yeah, those databases didn't exist terribly long ago. I see them more and more every day now. There's so many great projects out there. I'm sure I want to actually, actually offline another time, maybe ask you about some of them so I can reach out to more in the field. So I know you, you know a lot more about that than, than I do, certainly. Um, wow, this is, it's been so great talking with you, Bailey, it really has. I'm glad uh, I'm glad we have connected. Um, for people to learn more about you, you have your website, of course. 
and we'll uh, we will when we release this, the your website URL will be all over this um, on the graphic. But for people that are listening by audio only, what is your uh, correct URL, please, for your website? Sure, it's just baileyobrien.com. Bailey is B-A-I-L-E-Y. O'Brien is O-B-I-E-N.com. So baileyobrien.com. And that talks about, on your website, it talks about everything you do professionally. Uh, I know that you also have a, a Facebook page that you're pretty active with. Where do people find you on Facebook? Yeah, my um, for Facebook and Instagram and I think LinkedIn also, it's at Bailey O'Brien 330. So Facebook.com forward slash Bailey O'Brien 330, Instagram.com forward slash Bailey O'Brien 330. That's funny. All and my that, for, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, oh, I was just going to say oh. that's, that's, that's my cancer remission. That's the March 30th is, um, it's my birthday, but it's also the day after I found out I was cancer free. So I celebrate both. Uh, so you knew I was going to ask you what the three, three zero was, of course, you know, on, um, <laughs> on all my platforms for, we win, it's, we win two, one, seven, seven. And, you know, of course we win itself was taken. So then I started entering all these different numbers that has significance to me, like 330 does for you. And they were all taken. So Facebook suggested 2177. I'm like, okay, I guess that's it then. So I, don't have the, uh, I don't have the magical numbers like you do, but that's cool. And where else, um, any other resources or places people should be looking for you? Um, anyone could email me, contact at baileyobrien.com um yeah i could throw out my phone number also it's uh well i don't know you probably have international callers but i won't <laughs> if i see a different country calling i probably would ask to you know call on whatsapp but um uh, nine, well, plus, plus one plus one yeah, for international one. yep nine one four two six two eight eight four five and yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, if you're a creep, I'll block you. <laughs> that's, I, don't that's, I, don't, I don't think your audience would do that. <laughs> no, you'll be okay. I was gonna yeah, say, so there you go, boys. Now we all have Bailey's phone number. <laughs> all right. Uh, no, 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 I, we're, I, know I think no one would do that. We'll, we'll be good there. Uh, gosh, we are, we are right at the top of an hour. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for being our inaugural guest here on We Win. Um, you you will you will always be the first guest. Nothing's ever going to change that, and uh, you're, you're going down in, in fame or infamy, whatever it ends up being. But uh, but thank you for agreeing <laughs> to do this. Thank you so much, Rick. It's it's always a pleasure talking with you. You're I love you're just so kind and so loving. Um and just your work is amazing. I know you're going to continue to just change the world. And I'm thankful to have met you, Rick. Well, my pleasure. And I look forward to, uh, to connecting with you again soon. Keep Absolutely. doing what you do, Bailey. Take care. Thank bye -bye. you. All right. Bye-bye. And there we have it, everybody. The uh, very first edition of We Win for Talking Tough. If you go to our website, www.talking-tough.com, uh, it's right here on the bottom of the screen. And uh, for those who are listening only, again, talking-tough.com, you will see the We Win section on our website. Uh, we have social platforms on all the major uh, uh, platforms, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, for We Win. It's a brand new part of our journey. Very excited about it. Uh, vastly appreciate you being here today. And we'll look forward to seeing you for the next one. Aloha. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody. He's going to hit as hard as life.
But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.